Hey guys, welcome back. It's Alana. And Jacqueline. And you're back for another episode of Black and Yellow. Hi, everybody. So today we have a really awesome episode for you all. And I mean all. I mean if (laughs) there are any boys that want to listen to this, any men, do it for your ladies. Um, The energy is electrifying in our individual remote sound booth today because this is an episode that we've been wanting to do for a very, very long time. Um, If you're joining us for the first time welcome we hope you enjoy what you hear and subscribe for more and if you are a regular listener thank you for letting us into your years and hearts again we do it for you (laughs) we are really excited for today's episode yeah so uh we realized in the three years that we've had this podcast wait whoa three years that's kind of crazy because if this podcast were a person it would be a toddler just coming out of the terrible terrible twos like a potty trained toddler that's a very (laughs) cool crazy thought to think about um right we realized in the three years that we've had this podcast we've not talked about one very female or trans female to male specific topic and that is the topic of our periods Mm -hmm. i don't know why we've never covered this topic it's it's it was never intentional um but we just after three years we've we've never talked about our time of the month we've never you know straight talked about shark week we've (laughs) never had a repartee about our code reds but that all changes today yes whatever you want to call it though do not expect for us to blab about being on the rag because i hate that phrase and i want that phrase to crawl back into the hellhole that it came out of <laughs> just so we're clear um now everyone deals with their periods in different ways and i feel like i am constantly learning about new and different ways from other women so jack at the risk of getting too personal you know this is a podcast where we bear our souls once a week mm-hmm. i want to ask how do you deal with your period well, um, so as as I've kind of self-reflected, I really realized like I myself for a while was kind of embarrassed. Um, you know, the whole things with like periods being yucky and gross. I didn't really want to talk about it. I think having a, a man in the house, my brother, you know, it was kind of like, I don't know, it was just something that I never and my mom wasn't very outspoken about it either, maybe. But I, I she did hit menopause early, which could also be a reason why. Um, also my periods in the beginning, um, we're getting real personal now. Um, I, it was very, very, very painful. I had extremely painful cramps, like debilitating bedridden. I would get nauseous. I'd want to throw up. Um, and, and so for a while I had a really horrible hate relationship with my period um because when it was that time of the month i knew that it was going to be filled with pain Mm. i knew that at least for six hours i would be like out like in bed trying to sweat it off with a with a heat pack or like a hot um i call them hot babies where you like fill them with hot water like that rubber (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know our whole life my whole life we've called we've called them hot babies okay Um, so you know i'd have like a little hot baby on me and then i would like Mm. rotate between that and my lower back so like it was just i hated them i hated getting my period and so i think it was until recently i think we we had brought this topic up because i had a friend she wrote a post about how she loved her period and how she was you know kind Mm. of like would 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 just like feel so into herself and like yes i'm doing some kind of like abstract dance for you guys right now but (laughs) 
I like read that and it hit me and I didn't like, I just had this like immediate resistance of kind of like, what? Like, mm. no, periods aren't fun. Periods have never been fun. They're yucky. They're gross. They're filled with pain. You get blood clots. You get like all these kind of like just things you don't want to deal with. And that really made me like, really made me start to look at myself and look at my experience as a woman and how I deal with my periods. Um, Ever since I would say in the past year and a half, my period, my cramps have like really gone like away completely. Mm. Um, And I I think I've mentioned it a couple times to you guys to you, but I I have like PTSD still. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I'll get my period and I'll have I'm like just waiting for the cramps to kick in so I feel right. like the first couple hours I'm on this like I'm on the edge of just like waiting to like be hit with so much pain um, and then I you know I have like kind of like this mild anxiety and it's just not fun but um, but yeah my, my, my relationship with my period has definitely been a rocky one um, mm. but I think it's starting to I, I've also as of late you know gotten much healthier um kind of you know switched to a plant-based diet just been more strict about certain things and my cramps actually have been much better because of that so Mm -hmm. I think it's in conjunction with a lot of lifestyle choices which I know many would agree or you know once looking at it they would see how it's all connected um so there you go I know that was a, a, a rant um but that's how I deal with my period oh um if you are interested in the product or products that I used um we can get a little bit of this about later but I do use um only I switched over recently more for environmental reasons that we'll touch upon as well is um like all organic cotton pads like reusable washable pads um that's what I use okay your turn how do you deal with your period so I'm a free bleeder uh, I started free, ble- free bleeding, I would say, around uh, maybe like junior year of college. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what free bleeding was until I read that book, My Little Red Book by Rebecca Kaufman. For anyone who has or hasn't read it, I like picked it up at the library and like had a phrase to put to this way of handling my period, which was essentially uh, I don't use pads or tampons or um underwear that's meant to catch period flow i just let it flow yo Mm -hmm. um i wish i could give you some sort of like environmentally conscious politically charged fiscally responsible reason for doing so but i can't because um i was just pretty much like an irresponsible college kid with a spending problem and an irregular period in college And um, I got my period when I was still in Catholic elementary school. So pads were the only option presented. Wow, you were young. Yeah, I was in eighth grade. So I was like right at the tail end of elementary school. You mean middle school? school? Okay, I see what you're saying. Yes, I went to a K through eight. So in my mind, it's all one elementary school. But no, you're right. I was middle school age. You are correct about that. (laughs) Like fifth grade, fourth grade. I mean, there are girls who get it that, that soon. So... I was just asking for more clarification. I think the the youngest that we had in our class was like sixth grade and she was the first out. And I remember like not envying her. <laughs> well, just just being so young and no no one else had gotten it. Yeah, I got, so it mine, I got mine. I got mine in I got mine the summer of sixth grade into seventh grade. Got it. I got yeah. mine during PE class in eighth Ooh. grade. And because I went to a Catholic school and we wore a uniform, Ooh. the shorts were actually red. 
and it was like a gray top. So the the PE uniform actually saved me in that regard. Like I knew Thank something goodness. was up. I didn't know quite know what. Like went to the bathroom and like it was for sure my period. And thank God for the the red shorts that um amazing shielded that from everybody. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> yes, what a what a what a save. I did. Absolutely. And I mean, in Catholic school, like, you know, pads are the only option presented. And I was pretty adamant in eighth grade. Like, I no, I will not be sitting on a diaper all day. And so when I got to college and someone introduced me to tampons, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Oh, my God. Um, But then when I got to college and was having to, like, budget in for things like groceries and and tampons and wasn't getting a regular period, I was like, hmm, do I really need to buy tampons for a period that may or may not be coming? And there right. were obviously some health reasons that needed to be addressed. But at the yeah. time, um, and let me just allow myself to call out my period privilege. I don't have the super painful, I like have never had the super painful cramps. So my periods lucky. are pretty light. I'm not a super heavy bleeder and I'm about a four or five day but, you know, those last couple of days of your period, you're not exactly in like a full on flow, but you're yeah. sort of more like waiting for your body to to switch back over to like cunnilingus or sex ready, depending on like who your partner is. Um. So, yeah. So I began to right. just not really use anything. I spent most of my days in leotards anyways, so I always sort of had something to catch the blood if you will but um I began to free bleed I began to like take a towel with me and still do when I ever I go over to friends houses I guess pre-pandemic um but that's pretty much the way that I've always handled my period the only glaring exception is if I am going into a super like professional meeting or something like that where I can't we're like walking in with a period towel is just not professional or I just don't want to have that kind of conversation yeah like and in that case I will shove up a tampon and get to work but other than that I'm um a full free bleeder and to be totally you do go ahead I just want to ask one specific question no yeah go for it I was just gonna say so you have a towel and you because I remember you told me you were a free bleeder like a while, like years ago when mm-hmm. we first met. And I was like shocked, you know, because I I had like there's so many like things that went through my mind <laughs> as a woman, like clothes, underwear, tamp, like where you are, what are you doing? All that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Stains, washing. And so you have a towel and do you you what do you wear? Do you wear a leotard? Do you wear just like a, a like a, a panty, like a black panty? What do you? So I tend to do leotards or bodysuits. For, okay. for people that don't call them that I um I always wear dark clothing on bottom so uh-huh. I, it's always like navy blue jeans or dark black jeans generally it's jeans I don't tend to wear dresses or skirts when I'm free bleeding I like having something between my legs and generally something sitting pretty close to my vagina uh-huh. which is hence the leotards and the um body suits and then I always take my towel with me but I'm also really upfront with my friends like, hey, guys, I'm free bleeding right now. Hence, I may or may not bring my towel or I may just prefer to stand as opposed to sit if I'm like hanging out at a friend's house just because I don't want to bleed on someone's like couch or chairs. Yeah. I don't like yeah. I don't think that that's the way to tell your friends that you love them, respect them no. is to like <laughs> bleed all over their furniture. Yeah. But yeah. um, I'm pretty upfront and open with them about that. And 
I haven't run into a ton of problems, but to be totally upfront, like you and I have been planning on this episode for for a while now because I feel like free bleeding has always gotten a bad rap or it just gets a treatment that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, that treatment yeah. either is like the silent treatment. Right. Or treated like the ugly stepsister of like tampons and pads. It's either right. like not talked about at all or right. it really brings up feelings of disgust or certain sort of questions i hesitate to call them ignorant because i realize that free bleeding is not necessarily something that many people know about or do right when i do mention free bleeding and i get questions like don't the stains bother you for me no because i'm wearing black clothing on bottom and and i know that the clothing that I wear when I free bleed is essentially relegated to period clothing, if that makes right, sense. Right, exactly. Yeah, like people have period panties and you have period clothing. Yes, exactly. Or like, I what see. about all that laundry you have to do? Which to me, I'm fine with doing that laundry because I think it's better than hurting the environment with pads and tampons. Because right. silly me, I had never actually thought about the environmental factor of my period. You're not the only I, one. I, honestly. And I think it was after a recording with you maybe a year and a half ago where you were like, hey, do you have a tampon? And I was like, sure, but I only had the regulars. And you were like, do you have yeah. one a little bit smaller? And I was like, ooh, no, I don't. And you were like, well, I'm just not going to use this because I'm not going to fill it up and I don't want it to sit in a landfill. And it stupid me. I had that had never crossed my mind. Right. I think I remember I was in your house and I was using your restroom and I, I like like set it through the door. And then I think I remember you. I didn't. I think I remember just being like, no, it's fine. And I just like rolled up a bunch of tissue paper and I like just left it there. And I was like, all right, like this will do. Um, and I remember that moment just being like, yeah. a, huh, because I just I don't feel like when we are young kids, we. I feel like pads and tampons are kind of forced upon us when we're young. It's sort of right. like a bra in a way. We're like, yeah, th- the expectation is when you get boobs, you're going to just start wearing a bra. We don't give right. young girls autonomy and choice to be like, well, do you want to wear a bra? Right. Do right. you not? And right. I feel like pads and tampons are the same thing. We don't tell young girls like, well, here are these options, pads, tampons, things, underwear, or you could just free bleed. What would you like? And Mm -hmm. I think that that's part of why I really wanted to do this episode was because I wanted women to know that there's another option available out there. Definitely. Yeah. I think when we talk about methods for handling one's periods, very often free bleeding is seldom on that list. And yeah, periods, if periods were not stigmatized enough, still free bleeding definitely tops the list at the most polarizing method of handling it mm-hmm. um and if you've never heard of free bleeding it is essentially now you know just you don't block the blood so you essentially let the blood free flow um you don't block it with a diva cup or tampons or pads you literally like let it all out and that's why i'm sure people ask you about the stuff about staining and all that stuff um, In other words, I'm free to bleed where I want any whoa. old time. Get it, girl. I bet you will never hear that song the same <laughs> way again. No. <laughs> um, people free bleed in all different ways. Some people invest in period-proof clothing and underwear. Thinks is slaying the game in this department. Some people would, though, argue if you're investing in period underwear as opposed to just having 
clothing that you have relegated to period clothing are you then free bleeding that's right. a, a debate for a different day but i can understand why that bait ar- that debate arises um others like me just use regular underwear or body suits we bleed we do laundry and we move on with our lives uh some forego underwear completely some people free bleed by choice while others are forced into it for economic reasons some people free bleed as a political movement with the goal uh being to normalize periods in society others do it for physical reasons whether that would be because pads and tampons can be irritating because of the fragrances that are used on them yeah Yeah. for sure for sure me Uh uh-huh the material used to make pads and tampons which um generally tampons are made from cotton rayon or a blend of the two while the material used to manufacture most pads are derived from the petroleum industry and forestry and exactly and generally the cotton used to make tampons goes through a bleaching process and the absorbent core of a pad is made from chlorine bleached pulp wood with the addition of a polyacetylate gel. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But that's the thing in the commercials that when liquid, yeah, like when liquid is poured onto a pad, it like forms a, a gel like barrier to, to help. Like, um, like diapers. Exactly. Yes, for sure. Which I mean... It, if if you, if you can't, you know, if, as if recycling soiled paper you can't do because of the blood. Furthermore, you can't do anything with tampons after you've used them because of the bleaching process. They're both yeah. terrible for the environment. And um, some of us were also just tired of being rubbed raw down there yeah. after our oh. periods were over. I don't know about you, but after, like, after wearing tampons for five days straight in and out, I always just feel like... Um, like I've had some, like very rough sex, but I but not in like the stretched out way in the like I just feel raw and chafed kind of way. Sorry, guys. I don't know if that's TMI yeah, or like not. But you, you had. Sorry, we're getting real TMI. Yeah, like you had. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, yeah, completely dry. Yes, like- exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I and don't that love that feeling. No. no who, I mean, who does? I don't know. Who, unless unless sandpaper turns you on. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I think also, you know, people free bleed for environmental reasons. I think that is great. Um, I think you can't. I mean, no, I know you can't recycle used tampons or pads. Um, a lot of tampon applicators are made of plastic, which kills me. It used to be made of paper, and then or for cardboard. The con- yeah, or, or or if you get just the tampon, you guys can't see me, but um, I'm making like little images with my fingers (laughs) um you know like the little little tiny tampon where you actually like manually shove it yourself up there um you know so plastic applicators to make the consumer happy um and um we all know that plastic is everywhere and permeated our lives and landfills at an alarming rate you guys all know i advocate for going plastic free in one area of your life please 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 just another side note um i've started with going plastic free in the shower i now use um soap bars um so i use a soap bar shampoo bar and i use a soap conditioner bar and i also just use a soap bar so everything in my shower now there's absolutely no plastic um ah. yeah in the bathroom or George start in the shower you can also just start with like um like a bamboo um toothbrush or mm. maybe like a biodegradable floss so like things like that that 
I wish we can have a whole plastic free episode because I think it's really important. <laughs> um, Putting it on the and list. I'll, yes, and it'll and I'll just be geeking out. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, thinking about how much waste menstrual products generates is tough because it is considered medical waste, and apparently, again, that doesn't. It doesn't get tracked um, and it's not researched closely. But according to National Geographic, in 2018 alone, people in the U.S. bought 5.8 billion, b- 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 billion tampons. Oh. And over the course of a lifetime, a single menstruator will use somewhere between five and 15,000 pads and tampons, the vast majority of which will wind up in a landfill as plastic waste for your children and your children's children and your children's children to inherit because we going to be dead by then. Oh, God. Oh, that like sends a chill up my spine. Um, yeah, it's it's some fucked up shit. Yeah. Uh, to be clear. Free bleeding is not free bleeding is not some new hip way of handling one's period. It's been around for a bit. It's saw a resurgence in the 70s and it gained popularity again in 2004 in a blog post on the blog all about my vagina. And there was a period stained art debates in 2020 when Vice published a photo series called There Will Be Blood by Emma Arvita Bystrom, in which she featured portraits of people with periods, people on their periods with clothing on essentially like bleeding through. And there was no text to accompany the pics, but there was a lot of debate surrounding the images. There was the incredibly misogynistic free bleeding hoax that 4chan launched launched which ultimately backfired but in a strange twist of fate introduced um a whole new introduced free bleeding to a whole different and much wider audience in 2015 mia drummer kieran gandhi free bled while running the london marathon Free bleeding activists protested the tampon tax in 2015. And also in 2015, artist and poet Rupi Kaur launched an inadvertent uh, backlash against Instagram when the social media site accidentally, I'm using that in air quotes, (laughs) removed her period themed photos twice. And so Rupi called out uh, social media, specifically Instagram, for censorship. But of course, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In 2017, there was a free bleeding yoga instructor, Steph Gongora, who Fred bled in who free bled in white in white while performing yoga moves to make a point about period shame. And transgender artist, educator and period activist Cass Clemmer posted a photo showing a period stain on their pants with the hashtag bleeding while trans. And during an an economically unstable time like we're living now, the pandemic has worsened a health disparity known as period poverty, which refers to the inadequate access to menstrual hygiene tools and educations, including but not limited to sanitary products, washing facilities and waste management. So, yeah, free bleeding is here to stay, we think. Um, We hope. hope. But before we can talk more about free bleeding and get into today's interview, we got to put our money where our mouth is first, right? Yeah. And this is going to be an exciting put your money where your mouth is. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a really exciting one. I will. I'll hop this one off and I'll go very quickly. Um, (laughs) 
for those of you who don't know, put your money where your mouth is. This is where we spotlight black and or Asian owned businesses to diversify your dollars, to inspire you guys to buy black, buy Asian. Don't give your money to big corporations. And uh, let's all get richer together, shall we? Let's enrich our own mm-hmm. communities. So I will start. Uh, I chose the company Real at Real Paper, R-E-E-L. Website is uh, realpaper.com. It is bamboo toilet paper that does good and feels good. It feels good on your hiney and it keeps it clean too. Their mission is very simple, to change lives. So this Black-owned toilet paper company... Uh, the owners built real to help eliminate the threat of illness posed by a lack of access to toilets while promoting the use of earth-friendly, sustainable paper products. They're on a mission to affect as many lives as possible by providing much-needed access to clean toilets for those who don't have it. So uh, Livio Bistrero, that is Real Paper's co-founder and CEO, and is a creative entrepreneur with a passion for healthy living, consumer products, relationships leadership and team building and since 2003 levo has built has uh built businesses from the ground up always with people at the forefront and uh levo's co-ceo co-founder is darren oyakin and oyakin grew up in lagos nigeria his early life experiences inspired the multifaceted give back that they provide for every sale of toilet paper. So with every roll of toilet paper that is sold, a little bit is given back to those that need it most. I would totally recommend if anyone is looking for a new toilet paper brand or is still in that place where toilet paper is hard to come by, give Real a chance. My boyfriend and I, or sorry, fiance and I have a couple of rolls Mm -hmm. and they feel really, really nice. I've never used bamboo toilet paper. This is my first foray into it purely bought it because it's black owned and it feels real good on my cheeks so check out real paper real paper if you're looking for a new toilet paper and jackie i'm gonna throw it over to you what you got for us so for those of you who may or may not know we are a big fan of family-owned businesses Mm -hmm. We are a big fan of Asian local-owned businesses. I've been working on something really, really special with my family for what seems like this whole year. (laughs) Um, For what seems like this whole pandemic. And last year, too, for quite a while. I think the idea of starting a family business came last year, Mm. 2019, where it, like... We were in Canada and as a family and we just like, it just kind of hit my brother and he said, hey, why don't we start a family meal prep rest? Like it wasn't necessarily meal prep yet, but it was just a family business. But it, but it was since we had all as a family transitioned into plant-based, we decided, and the, for, the, for those of you guys who may or may not know, my mom has over 40 years of cooking experience. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on this uh, really funny um, cooking competition television show um, with Anthony Bourdain. Um, may he rest in power um, as a judge. And my mom kind of just like 
exploded in in that year with like millions and millions of people. And so anyways, people know my mom from her cooking. Um, she loves to feed people. That's kind of been her, her, her talent her whole life. Um, we've done a lot of things as a family um, in terms of, you know, cooking. And, and that's kind of been like her career. We were at the 626 Night Market. We had a booth for three years in a row. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, you I know, lots so of family things. Um, so then, you know, we thought about just really sharing our love for food and our talent for food and the ability to create delicious food because we all know you can't live without food no. um, and it is essential <laughs> it is it is essential and a good homemade meal made with love and care we all know when you go to your grandma's or when you go to your mom you you can taste the difference when something has been been made with love and care and attention versus something that's you know fast and quick and and obviously not very good for you mm-hmm. um in the long term i mean so our family launched our uh meal prep delivery service all plant-based so people who eat meat can eat it people who don't eat meat can eat it um and we have taken a lot of time and energy to really create a wonderful menu for you guys that is seasonal that is natural that is local um and it's going we are soft launching right now for friends and family alana was the very first one might i add you get a prize um and and so we will be official for you guys it is on instagram we are at plant love meals our website is plantlovemeals.com um so in about in a couple weeks we'll be officially open to the public and you can go on there and check it out you can go in there and check it on now as well if you'd like but um you know obviously we're not open to the public just yet so yeah, that is putting Alana already put her her money where her mouth is um, in that sense. But yeah. let us let us know what you guys if you guys do just want to eat a little bit healthier. If you guys um, want freshly made foods delivered to you that it's not, you know, um, from a big corporation or a restaurant that's owned by a big corporation um, that, you know, is healthy and all that stuff, um, you know, in your fridge, it lasts at five to seven days and you can grab and go um, or mm. you could eat it right away. As soon as it gets delivered to the house, it'll be fresh. It's cooked the day before. Um, so, yeah, there you go, guys. Check us out. Let us know what you think. Um, I'll be talking more about this as it progresses and obviously sharing more. But yeah, it's our own business. It's so exciting. <laughs> oh, congratulations again to you and to the fam. I can't wait to get my meals. I think I'm we're picking up on the 27th, whenever it is. We are so yeah. excited here in my house. I also got some for my parents as well. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. Thank and I you. can't wait to shove your delicious food down my gullet because your mom <laughs> has sent food for us before for in like past yeah. recording sessions. And so and yeah. it's always delicious. So I can't wait. I'm so excited for you guys. Congratulations. I am as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) I will drop links to all of this in the show notes. Um, And with that said, let us get to our guest. So as we stayed at top of show, Jay and I have wanted to tackle this topic for a while now, and we definitely found the best person for the job. We are really excited to chop it up with her. Her name is Dr. Jerry Lynn Pryor, B-A-M-D-F-R-C-P-C. 
She is a professor of endocrinology and metabolism at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, British Columbia. She spent her career studying menstrual, menstrual cycles and the effects of the people's changing estrogen and progesterone hormone levels on women's health. She is the founder and scientific director of the Center for Menstrual Cycle and Ovulation Research, Seymour, which was established in 2002. In addition to studying menstrual cycles, she was also she's also studied perimenopause, menopause, and the causes for and treatments of osteoporosis. She's also an in-demand public speaker for all audiences and is an award-winning author for her book, Estrogen's Storm Season, Stories of Perimenopause, which is a fiction book meant to inform and empower perimenopausal women. She has authored over 270 scientific papers and holds six patents. She's a very busy lady. She's an honorary alumna of the University of British Columbia Faculty of Medicine and was awarded its Distinguished Medical Research Lecturer Award in 2002. Other honors include the Ann Voda Lifetime Achievement Award in 2011. From the, science, from the Society for Menstrual Cycle Research and the Knowledge Translation in Women's Health Research Award from the BC Women's Health Research Institute in 2017. Dr. Pryor, thank you so much for all of your amazing contributions to feminism, and thank you for taking the time out to talk to us today. Dr. Pryor, thank you so much for all of your amazing contributions to feminism, and thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us today. We are so excited. I'm happy to talk with you. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. We really are so excited for you to be here. Your medical experience is vast, to say the absolute least. Uh, But we are here to talk about free bleeding today. Can you start by telling us about the work that you've done as it relates to free bleeding? And why was it so interesting for you in the first place? Okay, Um, that's a very good question because uh, I I think I started trying to understand my own cycles when they went away totally when I went to university. Mm. And I knew at that point that I wasn't pregnant. I knew that I wasn't skinny and, <laughs> you know, um, and, and the, when it came down, I knew I was healthy. Mm-hmm. So it came down to, to an understanding that this situation that I was now in living in a dormitory, whereas I'd been in a small village with 70 people total wow. previously. Wow. Um, Amazing. Being actually in those days, I was locked in. They locked us in at 10 o'clock at night and we weren't able to go out without uh, the door alarming um, before six in the morning. Interesting. Oh. So I can remember wandering the hallways trying to find, I knew the moon was full and I wanted to see the full moon. Uh-huh. And I couldn't, I couldn't. <laughs> Any wow. rate, um, you know, and the noise of people whose whose approaches to life were so different than mine, mm. uh, you know, and into the night and giggling and parties and stuff, people yeah. that I didn't know and that didn't respect me and that I didn't respect, you know, being hemmed in by them was just tough. And then all the stress of academics and things. Any rate, so my period went away for nine months. Wow. I never told anyone. I never even told my mom. I went home to Alaska and worked in the summer and my period came back. Mm. So I was alerted that, that 
periods were mysterious, but important. And very, I, yeah. And I, I started paying attention. Um, and then I think the other reason, if, if I look back on it, when I, for my focusing on the area of women's reproduction is that I early on understood that it was part of the way in which we were, uh, well, psychologically abused, mistreated or whatever you mm. want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, blame it on our biology, which is by definition, not as good as men's biology. Um, but also when I was engaged to be married in my end of my second year of medical school, being an appropriate and careful woman, I went to the Planned Parenthood <laughs> and got the flavor of the month, the samples that they had. Ah. And, I, and I started taking them. And it turned out that it was a drug called sequins, which was estrogen only for the first number of days. I don't know how many. Mm-hmm. And then it was progestin. And so I started taking these pills. I was working that summer at a local hospital. It was hot. And my fiance had gotten back from working in the Peace Corps for two years. So he was a bit weird. <laughs> to say the, to say the least. I, love I mean, really, he was having culture shock. Right. Yeah. I'm sure. At any rate, I I began to feel just awful. And I swelled up like a balloon and I got my first ever migraine headache. And I'm sure it changed my personality because I, I was staying in a dorm with a bunch of uh women that were Montessori trainees. Oh. And we went out on a on a Friday night, which I guess would be their usual pattern, but it wasn't mine. Um, and I had six beer, and I, hmm. I'm a, I was a teetotaler. I mean, the closest I'd come to alcohol in years was the cider I let sit on the counter for a while until it got <laughs> a bit bubbly. I mean, seriously, I couldn't afford alcohol, and you know so. So um, eventually, after five days of this pill, I stopped it. But being a bit of a scientist, (laughs) um, which is interesting in retrospect, um, I weighed myself when I stopped it. And um, when I finished peeing, I was nine pounds lighter. Whoa. Whoa, what? That was, I mean, literally my feet were so swollen I couldn't get my sandals on. Wow, you're just retaining all that water. Yeah, no. Now, it turns out that the pill was 100 micrograms of ethanol estradiol. So it was basically just all estrogen and no progestin? That's right. That first part of the pill was all estrogen. Got it. And do you know how many micrograms the current pill has in it? Uh, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't. I've never. I wouldn't you know. You should know. I want to guess like twenty five, thirty. Uh, those are high now. Twenty is usual. Okay. Wow. And, some, and yours was a hundred. One as low as ten. Wow. 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 Okay. So, so it was such out. a pharmacologically large dose that through the rest of my menstrual, I mean, the rest of my you know medical school training mm-hmm. and everything, whenever someone gave estrogen a strong you know estrogen does all these great things yeah i put a question mark after it because i'd experienced 
I'm feeling the worst I'd ever felt in my life from estrogen. Right. Okay. Hmm. So, so I guess that's why when I got to Vancouver in 1976 and started doing, wanting to do some research was in the midst of what was then sort of the aerobics, um, generation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and women were, that was around the same time. Well, I guess a bit after women had first started trying to get to run marathons. There was a movement in the, um, in the Olympics to allow women to compete in longer distances. Mm -hmm. So the, and, and the literature was immediately full of all these prejudicial articles that said women's periods are going to go away. They're challenging their reproduction. They're developing uh, Mm. uh, eating disorders, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 Mm -hmm. because of trying to do something that only men should, in quotes, do. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So I wanted to understand. And I said, look, women have been exercising hard for many, many eons here. Don't (laughs) tell me it's going to make us sick. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of the studies that had been done up to that point were cross-sectional. In other words, they they studied women at one point in time. So women or they were they were um, not taking into account the other things that affect the menstrual cycle besides exercise. Right. There's a lot you, of factors. You know, so there was uh, very shortly thereafter a study of um, women who, who college-age women who were taken to a training camp and then started doing much harder training. But they were away from home. They, you know, who knows what was what kinds of supports they were missing in this strange environment. Right. So I decided to do a prospective study in which I had studied the women before they were required to have a normal ovulatory cycle two in a row, be of normal weight. They could have been exercising before or they could have been running training for a marathon before, whatever. Their exercise was fine. And then we just followed the whole lot of them for a whole year and find out what happened to their periods. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. And some of them were training for a marathon. In fact, Mm. 19 ran a marathon during the year. Some were like me. I was a participant in that study who were just running for fitness and general exercise. health kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Right. And there were others who didn't do any particular exercise, but would swim on the weekend, sometimes play golf, another play tennis, another, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And Sports we followed, that double is like hanging out. Yeah. We followed every, everybody and tracked exercise and track cycles and track nutrition. We, in fact, we tracked every bloody thing. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way to do it. <laughs> the hardest part of it for me was the, was the, um, uh, seven day diet diary. We had to write down everything we ate and drank oh. for seven days. And a lot of the, the, it happened that the checklist we were using didn't fit my diet very well. So uh, at any rate, it was, that was the hard part for me. So at any rate, um, 66 women completed the study and 
with that, we were able to show that marathon training, when women were healthy and did it, did it appropriately and were already ovulatory, didn't change their cycles any more than the cycles changes that we saw in the women who weren't regularly hmm. exercising. Mm -hmm. So, so um, what we did see, however, and that's been my life's work since, was that almost all of the women in that study, I think it was 85%, had some cycles in which they didn't make enough progesterone. Mm -hmm. So that was the adaptation. Cycle length remained normal. 97% of all the cycles were normal in length, but the ovulation was truncated in some cycles. And, in, mm. and 13 of those women didn't ovulate in at least one cycle. Mm. Huh. So out of the 66 who all met those criteria at the beginning, oh, also I forgot to say they were non-smokers. Okay. <laughs> Got it. And they weren't compulsive exercisers. Mm. Right. Okay. You know, if they said, if I couldn't exercise for two or three days, I'd begin to be a basket case. Then we said, thank you, but no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. 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 Any rate. So, so um, that study allowed us to see for the first time that progesterone was important for bone mm. because estrogen levels were basically normal, mm -hmm. but progesterone was variable across the cycles. So we were able to show, and I've been working on it since, that progesterone is women's bone formation stimulating hormone. Estrogen's mm. job is to prevent bone loss, but progesterone's job is to stimulate new bone formation. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. That's a really fascinating way that you came about studying this. Yeah. I hypothesized it, but I didn't dare put it in the grant. <laughs> Smart. And the reason we studied bone was because nobody wanted to study the menstrual cycle itself. Right. You had to have sure. something disease related. Oh. Crazy. So is yeah. that like the patriarchy at play? Oh, God, yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I should watch my language. <laughs> no, you're good. You're totally good. Yeah. At any rate. So, so I guess that's a long story for how I got, got into it's studying great menstrual story. cycles. No, it's a good story. We appreciate it. So I was going to confess to you the time I was free bleeding. Please. Yes. I'm doing Con it now. Confess I away. I thought you'd appreciate it. Um, <laughs> basically, I hadn't been home to visit my folks in Alaska for a long time. And it I can't remember what year that was. But I, I, had a norm, I started a normal period, no problem. And then I started bleeding extremely heavily. And I oh. had no medicines, nothing to help with it. And so I, I just had to sit on an old towel uh -huh. and let it flow and drink as much fluid and eat as much salty things as I felt like I needed to cope. Hmm. And wow. um, yeah, I mean, I was in, in my folks home and they were okay. I mean, you know, yeah, I think even my dad knew what was going on. Got but, it. Uh -huh. Yeah. I just, I wanted to ask you, you know, free bleeding is jarring. 
um, to many people um, who, you know, read about it or hear about it. But people have also been free bleeding for longer than we have been using products to absorb our menstrual flow. So can you give a little bit but of But I his- think that's a wrong understanding you- of the the hunter-gatherer people uh-huh. that that we know about from anthropology. Actually, I went and checked on this. Um, you know, more current than, than you know, 2,000 years ago or 5,000 or 10 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Use something. They used moss. Um, some, I can't believe it, but used uh, clay or soil or... Ooh. Yeah, like they would, they would like, they would mind my my language here but they would just kind of put it up into yeah, the yeah, yeah. into the canal right that's right into the vagina yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so i don't think that the concept that free bleeding has been going on forever is actually accurate mm. okay okay Fascinating. We, we sit corrected because we definitely assumed otherwise yeah no no i mean in in india in present day the poor people we're using rags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I, or, I mean. There are still countries. I mean, I, I, many places nowadays who don't have access to, you know, that's right. Sanit- and they just will use, you know, old rags, old clothes um, and just absorb well, it up. Here's the uh, I mean, having been I, I worked my way through school and I was really poor in in medical school in the year before the episode with the birth control pills I told you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to say that I borrowed, I begged a water pill. That's what it, I begged a water pill from my, one of my friends who was an intern at that hospital. So when I stopped the birth control pill, I also took a half of a water pill. That's mm, what why is, the nine pounds mm. weight loss. Oh, I see. Okay. I, I, sorry. I, I just remembered. I forgot to tell you. At any rate, <laughs> that year I was, uh, and so it would have been 1965. Oh, uh, no, 1967. I was living on 25 cents a day for food. Oh, wow. Wow. And, you know, so I didn't have money for tampons or pads or anything. Mm-hmm. And I would fold up toilet paper, mm-hmm. use a uh, safety pin, and that would be what I wore. Wow. I I've, I did that for many years. Mm-hmm. 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 Can I ask you a question, Dr. Pryor? Because um, I feel like a, a little bit of what you're saying now in terms of economics and finance, there are women that are also having to deal with the financial um, hardship of dealing with their period during a time like right now during the pandemic where yep. the world is horribly unstable financially. Are you noticing that women are, are making different choices with how they handle their period during this time with, uh, with maybe a, a period products or access to them, depending on where you live, maybe not being as easy or as accessible as a uh, pre pandemic. I don't have any direct knowledge of that. Cool. I'm not in my in my bubble, <laughs> the COVID bubble. Uh, there aren't, yes, there aren't any young women that I'm sufficiently close to that would talk to me about it. So, okay. for example, my son's new partner is of the age, but I don't know her well enough to talk about it yet. 
<laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so we, you, I remember you talking a little bit about this before we started recording. Um, but you know, to all the listeners that are curious, and I'm super curious as well. Um, what are the benefits of free bleeding, if there are any? Well, I think you're quite right in the materials you sent me and you wrote, you've written about that. There's a an environmental. Mm. advantage to free bleeding because mm -hmm. most of the menstrual cycle products are um are very you know they have to go in the landfill and they're bad stuff mm -hmm. yeah okay. they are so i i'm very much relieved by the availability now of of menstrual cups because i think mm. that makes sense ah. and i remember when my daughter was in university she was living in a household with another woman and a man and both both of the women in the household were using um rewashable cloths so mm -hmm. there was always a bucket by the sink with <laughs> with things soaking right and the yeah, guy I've, was i've used guy, that i love that yeah, yeah the guy was fine with it so Ooh, that was that was cool any rate so i think I think that the environmental issue could be taken away mm. by using reusable materials or menstrual cups. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, the menstrual cup, especially the 30 milliliter one or CC one, is is an absolute boon for those women whose periods are heavy. Because mm. you're talking I about see. the Diva in the Moon cups or any sort of other offshoot. I don't know all the brands. I know There's the Diva many. one best, but Got it. but but it saves the person who's heavy bleeding from having to change all the time because yeah. you know maybe maybe you would change it twice a day or you would have to empty right. it twice a day. <laughs> the only thing is, one of my friends said. If the diva cup is full, don't sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. I love then, that. I'm always gonna remember that. <laughs> you, you would have you would have quite the mess down there. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I so there's definitely an environmental aspect to free bleeding. I can understand where you're coming from. I fully support it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm other than that, I can't think of a positive related to free bleeding, except economic. In mm -hmm. other words, you don't have to pay for pads and tampons. I see. That makes sense. Definitely. Uh, I know you talked a lot about how the period itself is something that is you know, taboo, um, yucky. not spoken about, yucky, gross, <laughs> nasty, you know, there's a, a list, um, controversial in, in itself. And um, free bleeding is also controversial. Do you think that controversy is warranted? It's, it's, um, it has an important um, attention getting factor. But mm -hmm. beyond that, it's not going to help women, I don't think. Mm. And believe me, I want to improve women's well-being in this very gendered world. Tell us yes. more about why you think free bleeding won't help, is not necessarily helpful to women. Well, for a start, I mean, 
if you're like I am and you don't like to shop very much and, you, you know, you're busy and getting stains on your clothing is just not fun. Yeah. And, and to add the stress of everyday life, add to the stress of everyday life, the worry of making marks on furniture and, you know, the public, the public shame mm -hmm. that comes with obviously uh, staining things in public. I think it's just not worth it. Mm. Okay. Okay. I mean, I have to ask the most obvious question here, which is, is free bleeding sanitary or are there any health risks associated with it? I think that there is viral transmission of HIV, for example, okay. in the menstrual fluid. I can I, I can't see how it would be otherwise. Okay. So mm -hmm. in that sense, there would be some medical risks also. Mm. And you're talking about the transmission of like of diseases through blood or something like that. That's right. Okay. Got it. Can we switch gears a little bit to talk about uh, politics for a little bit? Are you cool talking to us about that? <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> well, I mean, free bleeding, I have to say, uh, just to backtrack just a little bit, um, I was a broke college kid and essentially like had an irregular period and was whenever I was faced with the need to buy tampons or buy alcohol, um, the buying tampons never stood a chance because my, my period sort of came and went whenever it wanted to. So I feel very seen by you in that respect. Uh, hearing you talk about your period that didn't come for a while in college. I like to know that I, I'm happy to know that I'm not the only one. And it was a round of progestin that um, actually helped it come again. So thank you for that. Um, in terms of, of politics, free bleeding, it's obviously heavily politicized. And uh, the actual practice itself has been used as a form of protest. So in the last few years, feminists have been free bleeding, uh, feminists, feminists and free bleeding activists uh, free blood to protest the tampon tax. For those of you who are unaware, menstrual products in a lot of countries and a lot of states here in the United States are taxed as quote unquote luxury items, meaning that those with low incomes can struggle to afford them um, or, or just access them. Period products are inaccessible for those who are incarcerated. And period products are one of those are, are one of the most requested donation items at homeless shelters. Why are periods so politicized and so stigmatized even now in 2020? Because there's still a sex and gen gender imbalance in our culture. And the, whenever there are times of stress, as in right now with COVID, the, there is always increased disadvantage for those who are already disadvantaged, namely women, people of color, people of diff different languages, blah, 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 you know. Yeah. How do we make them, how, do, how can we, meaning the collective we, but also with our listeners listening via a podcast like this, like how can we do our part to make them less and less stigmatized for the next generation of girls and women coming up under us? Well, I think, I think it's a big start to just casually say I'm having my period today. So, you know, uh, if I need to go and take an ibuprofen for cramps, you'll understand or right. I mean, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so I think, 
um, it, it's a bit like other stigmas. If you verbalize it in a way that says, I'm cool with it, mm-hmm. other people understand that you are, well, they, they pick it up. They, yeah. they yeah. you know, it's, it's the same thing with any other kind of prejudice, digital mm. thing, you know, with being gay, with lesbian, with whatever. If you just say my partner and I, she, for example, as mm-hmm. I do, um, then that normalizes it. Right. Yeah. Taking right, it out right. of the shadows and out of the whispers is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think that's really important because I think there's already enough of the, shame. you know, the shame and the oppression and all that stuff that, that surrounds us on a daily basis. Um, so I, I, I think that's, that's, that's a great way to start. You asked me, uh, Alana, what, mm-hmm. how to, um, to destigmatize the menstrual cycle. Yeah. And I think, and this is me as a, you know, long-time menstrual cycle scientist. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great title. That is a great title. <laughs> but but if each of you learn about your own cycle. So, for example, that, that beginning analysis I did as a, you know, not very enlightened uh, um, college kid. student, yeah. right, that these are the things I knew about that might disturb my cycle. So I knew I wasn't pregnant. I knew, you know, et cetera. I knew I wasn't skinny. I knew I wasn't sick. You know, understand the things that disturb your cycle because once you understand them, Mm -hmm. then they improve. So for example, again, as somebody who knows something about this, this area and the hormones and things, I'm concerned when you say you don't know when your period's coming, Alana. In other words, that's telling me that there's something that's out of balance in your life. Yes. At the time of university, there was absolutely something out of balance. Yeah. yeah. No progestin. It's back now. Progesterone. Progesterone. Progestin is a synthetic. Progesterone is our native hormone. And what what I've been working on is that... The balance of estradiol and progesterone or estrogen and progesterone is absolutely important for women's health. Mm. So it's important while you're your age, but it's especially important when you're my age. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so I understood or I began to figure out that when I was stressed, that my period would be long. And I might or might not, that my cycles would be long Uh and that I might or might not ovulate normally. Mm. You see, so I, I went, I'm sure I didn't ovulate probably never, maybe rarely until I was about my mid twenties. Wow. And I already told you that not having enough progesterone is bad for bones, but I was able to just to reassure everybody who's been through <laughs> stressful times um, that, that, you know, my bone density now, well, I haven't had it checked for a long time, but, but when I was part of studies and things was fine. Okay. And I've never broken any bones. And, and li- by the time I was in my thirties, 
uh, I could, <laughs> I remember this very clearly because every cycle was normally ovulatory. Mm-hmm. And then I, I went, well, I went through a divorce and, and stuff. And I was with this guy who turned out to be a bit of a jerk at any rate. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hiked the Chilkoot Trail, which is, is many days, like seven days hiking. And it goes from sea level up into the Alpine. This is in um, southern Alaska, up into Canada into Whitehorse in the Yukon. Wow. Any rate, and and uh, I was responsible for the food and a bunch of other stuff, but uh, he was responsible for the fuel for our camp stove, and he didn't read Uh-oh. the in, in information properly and realized there was giardia, so we couldn't just drink out of streams. Oh. We had to boil water or preserve it in some way before we could use it. Mm-hmm. And so we were thirsty, you know, really mm-hmm. thirsty and I'm hiking sure. and quarreling as he was. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> one of those guys who who insisted on bringing a white T-shirt, clean white T-shirt for every day. And so I insisted on carrying the same weight of pack as he had, which was about <laughs> 65 pounds. any rate, so. All of those stresses, and I had a short luteal phase, and I thought, mm. I know why. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how do you learn about your own cycle? You have to have a reliable way to track ovulation. Mm. And so I've been working on that. And, and in fact, all of the studies I did depended on our making the old-fashioned basal temperature into something that could be quantitatively analyzed, something scientific rather than, you know, not reliable. Right. <laughs> and so, so basically, uh, that's on the middle part of the main page on the SEMCOR website, www.cemcor.ubc.ca. It's called Quantitative Basal Temperature. And all it requires is that you take your first morning temperature before you're up and at it in the morning and then write it down in the evening. And once you have a whole cycle's worth of temperatures, then you take the average of those temperatures and you see where your temperature goes above and stays above that average until the next flow. I see. This is, I wanted to share... I didn't, I was going to take my time with this. Um, I didn't know if we had enough time, but I've, I've been tracking my cycle for about a year and a half now, I want to say. Um, so this is really wonderful news to hear because um, I haven't gone a step further to really study my cycles, but I have noticed at times, um, you know, I ovulate earlier Um and sometimes I'm not even sure why, you know, sometimes I sometimes I think it's the weather um, and just like really tracking my emotional status, too, That's I think right. is really important. So so if you use in addition to the quantitative basal temperature, if you also use the diary, there's a menstrual cycle diary there and mm. it has positive. It, it's different than most in it in that it has positives as well as negatives. So there's feeling ah. of self-worth, there's feeling of energy, there's appetite, there's sleep, you know. So it gives you a holistic way 
of taking an assessment before you go to bed of what your day has been like. Mm, that's really and then important. you can start to make some connections. The, right. the other thing that's important is there's two things in there that are reliably evidence of high estrogen. In mm-hmm. other words, an imbalance of estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. of them is sore front of the breast tenderness. So uh, I wish you ha- you could see me now, but <laughs> I, will, I will tell you what I'm doing. Uh, basically, you take the flat of the palm of your hand and push it into your breast toward your back. Doing it now. Doing it now, Sam. And if it's tender at all, it means your estrogen level is high. Ah. So should that usually happen when we are ovulating? It may happen before the estrogen mid-cycle peak. But but mm. what's interesting is that my sister, who's not medical at all, she said, <laughs> if I have really sore breasts at the mid-cycle, I'm going to have a bad PMS. Oh. You know, and she was, she's huh. right. Interesting. That's so, so interesting. So that's one sign of high estrogen. Got it. The other sign of high estrogen is stretchy mucus, that kind of egg white type mucus that mm-hmm. comes from the cervix yeah. at the mid-cycle. If it can stretch longer than about an inch, and if it's, stretch, it's stretchy for more than three days in a cycle, Mm. then that is high estrogen. Interesting. Oh, wow. So the other is that the, the um, stretchy mucus goes away, right? Yeah, right. yeah after, after you're done ovulating, usually. A- after the egg is released. And do you know why that is? No. Progesterone dries up those cervical glands, right? Yeah. So another thing, and I haven't validated this, I'm trying to now, that, that is useful is that if your stretchy mucus persists at all uh-huh. between mid-cycle and the next flow, okay, you're likely okay. not ovulating. So those with those kinds of bits of information, and by the way, the diary can be helpful even if you don't know those things, mm-hmm. I, think, I think if you could share the the idea that women need to own their own cycles because we change society by changing ourselves. There's so many women who behave as though their bodies belong to their boyfriend or to their husband or to their, you know, to their gynecologist or something yeah. rather than to themselves. Right. Right. And when we all, each of us as women, own our own cycles, understand the complex connections between our hormone levels and how our cycles are and who we are in the world, mm-hmm. then that is the strongest thing, I think, that will stop menstrual cycles from being yucky. I think it's because women still treat them as yucky. Right. That it's mm-hmm. still a problem in our culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, I think that's a really great place to leave the interview. Okay. But I do want our listeners to get to know you just a little bit better, Dr. Jerry Lynn. So can I ask you a couple of rapid fire questions? Sure, before sure, you sure. Hop off. Okay, cool. So, what has been your favorite activity to do in quarantine? 
My favorite thing is having few close people in, in a garden party. We can separate <laughs> we can oh. separate by six feet. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Garden and, parties. You know, we were so lucky here in Vancouver that April, March and April were beautiful weather. Mm. So so being outside was just so nice. What a treat. It was spring was lovely and any rate that made the early days of COVID that were so difficult, uh, much easier. Yeah. And What's the, your... I guess the other part of it is that I got to know my neighbors much better <laughs> and I was baking and sharing with neighbors, which was part of getting to know them better. What were you baking? Oh, I baked hot cross buns at Easter. <laughs> um, I made muffins. Oh, I made cookies. Delicious. Getting hungry. I want to come be a neighbor of yours, Dr. Pryor. <laughs> and and we were here. We were in our neighborhood. Well, all over, I think. Uh, we were going out at 7 o'clock at night and banging on pots and pans and ringing bells and things as a yeah. thank you to the first frontline workers. Aww. So so we it. would always wave to the people across the street and, you know, people that otherwise we wouldn't have talked to. Yeah. Ooh, that's a thing that I have not yet done in quarantine. I think I'm going to try and do that. Get to know my neighbors better. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite book or what's your favorite book that you've read in quarantine? Okay. My favorite recent book is uh, Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owen. That was uh, one of Reese Witherspoon. That's on Reese Witherspoon and Oprah's uh, book list. Okay. Cool. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I don't know that, but... I yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine uh, who's a, a women's health teacher and pharmacist told me about it. And I shared it all around with the people uh, with cabins near ours this summer. Oh, What's the thing you've missed most in quarantine? Hugs. Yeah, I feel yeah, you. For sure. Yeah. When there's a, uh, hmm, well, I don't know what you call any rate, he's the husband of a cousin of my partner's, and he's typically not very expressive. And they they visited us at, in the wilderness this summer, and and as they were leaving, he said, "I'd like to give you a hug." That <laughs> nearly blew me away. <laughs> How kind! What's, what's the recipe you cannot stop making in quarantine? Okay, it's a cranberry flax muffin. Oh, that sounds delicious, Jackie. I feel like you. I feel like that's right up your alley. <laughs> I love muffins. <laughs> I could I could share it with you if you wanted. Yeah, um, actually. Yeah, I'll grab that. For, I'll grab that from you via email and we'll like post it up for all of our listeners who would like to make it. It's from a book of, I don't know, best recipes ever or something. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I really like it. And it's healthy, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does Dr. Pryor binge watch? What has she been binge watching lately? Oh, um, we watch Borgen, which is a um, Danish film. It was on public television ah. and we didn't get all of them when, you know, when, when it was live on television. Right. So we just recently watched it on the, on Netflix. Cool. It's about a woman who who became the prime minister of of De Denmark, 
And it, so it's a real world story like that. Of, mm-hmm. women, of a woman politician awesome. trying to uphold her principles, trying to uh, manage her family. It's, it's, it's very well done. Nice. I'm going to check it out. How can we strengthen our feminism in quarantine? Well, I think by learning about yourself. Just okay. like that. I said. Simple. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, um, whenever I think of someone that I know, um, I try to email them and say, how are you doing? Hmm. <laughs> um, I hope you and those you love are safe in these difficult times. And I always end my emails, stay safe. Love That's it. good. What's something that we should all know about our periods, but um, is not necessarily regular information? I've been telling you. <laughs> <laughs> kind of I was this... wondering if there were any other nugget that like we should oh, know. A lot. I think I was off. I think I was not being taped when I told you that <laughs> healthy ovulatory cycles, the menstrual fluid smells um, salty and natural and, and, but if you're not ovulating, then it smells ugly and fishy and dirty and I see. So I guess we should all smell our period next time. Well, you don't have to go that far. <laughs> you know, you know, Jermaine Greer said you need to be able to eat it. Ooh, oh, taste it. that is a new one on me. I have yeah, never known. Yeah, she wow. did years and years ago. Wow. Okay. That's a- uh, what was the last purchase that you made that excited you? I have trouble with that one. Okay. okay. I, I, <laughs> Um, because I don't shop very much. <laughs> okay. I could also totally skip it. Uh, I picked up some, um, uh, smoked oysters for my son to put in the, the bag of my, my son's birthday collection. And that made me fun, feel fun. Cause he loved them so much when he was a kid. Oh, yeah. I know that you're a proud grandma. What is your favorite thing to do with your grandchild? for a hike on Valdez Island. Oh. And last question, what is your favorite thing about working in the medical field? Learning new things and sharing them. Sweet. So Thank well you said. so much, Dr. Pryor. Absolutely. You're very it's, it's, we've been honored to have you on our show. Can you let our listeners know how they can find you, learn more about periods, um, yeah, let us know. So the the Center for Menstrual Cycle and Ovulation Research that I founded in 2002 has exactly those purposes. And we have a busy website, <laughs> www.cemcor.ubc.ca. UBC is the university I work. Perfect. And I will drop a link to that in the show notes for any any listener who wants to follow up, troll the website, all that good stuff. There's things there about cramps, heavy flow, cyclic progesterone therapy, uh, perimenopause, hot flushes. It's it's basically a go to place for women of any age. Amazing. Love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Pryor, for doing this. We are so happy to have you on the show. Yes. Elena and Jacqueline, Uh, it's been really fun. (laughs) We we learned a lot, so thank you. We did. 